acorns are jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, furry as a mouse, it's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 176, Maker's Haven. Sunday, August 20th, 2017. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yinhu podcast has a Facebook page, and it's available on iTunes. Each week, I post show notes, photographs, and links to the things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. This episode features the following segments, the front porch, the back porch, and so forth, and I also have a review of Blacker Yarn's limited edition birthday yarn called Brushwork, plus a giveaway, so listen for the details. This week, this past week, was the week in my summer without any prior plans, obligations, appointments, nothing on my schedule for an entire week. And so it was the point in my summer I had been looking forward to, uh, to make progress on a lot of different projects. And I was also hoping for some decent weather Uh, for fleece washing, and even more importantly, drying. And it turned out to be a very, very productive week. I was hoping to be able to tell you this morning that I had finished the knitting of the Ujo dress. I am nearly there, but I have not finished the dress. I'm working on the ribbing in the hem, So almost completed with the third of three colors of yarn I'm using to knit this short sleeve, A-line shape, tunic style dress. It has been a lot of fun to knit. The colors are extraordinary and I've enjoyed working them together and creating transitions between the colors. I think the pattern is classic and subtle and quite well written. There was one row or round missing in the medium size and I just took a guess and knit the round. After several times looking through the directions, I still couldn't figure it out. Um, And I didn't think I was missing anything. It's definitely not printed. Row 35 is not printed. Uh, But I think the rest of the directions for the pattern are clear enough that you can make some changes to your knitting to suit your body shape or 
how you want this garment to fit without worrying that you're going to mess up the pattern. I'm, like I said, really enjoying this uh, pattern and the knitting using three different colors of yarn, um, speckle dyed, a variegated, and a tonal yarn. And I've been using US two and a half or three millimeter needles. Blunt tips on these needles have helped me knit a lot more quickly because this is well over 1,200 yards in the past three weeks. I think my total yardage will be 13 to 1,400 yards. I enjoy needles with a very pointy tip, but in this case, with predominantly stockinette knitting, I have really enjoyed the blunt tips. It wasn't something that I decided to do. It was just that that was the size needle and the length of the circular that I had on hand. And so that's what I ended up using. I really like the gauge that I'm getting for this dress and uh, look forward to finishing. I just have the hem ribbing, the bind off, and then I need to knit the inside of the pockets and seam them. And that will conclude um, the Ujo dress probably sometime this week. Once again, that's the Ujo dress and the pattern design is by Ankastrick. And this appeared in the most recent issue of Len magazine. I have also cast on a pair of socks. This is my first time using Fiber Nymph Dye Works sock yarn, and I was really struck by her S'mores Swirl self-striping sock yarn. I think it's a perfect summer yarn. So I purchased some in the Bound Space, which is a superwash merino nylon blend. I'm using my US size zero needles to knit these socks in tandem. And the pattern I have chosen is Vanilla is the New Black. It's a vanilla sock pattern with a very interesting diamond-shaped heel that looks great whether the sock is turned right side out or inside out. And I'm looking forward to experimenting with another heel and the fit of that heel and it's great just to have a pair of socks on the needles because it's been a while since I've done that. I really enjoy knitting my socks in tandem because then I don't have a feeling of boredom to start a second sock when I've already knit the first one. And with self-striping yarn, that's also helpful because I just do everything exactly the same on two different socks to keep the patterning going just so. In this case, I also needed to wind and separate the yarn so that I could begin at the same point in the striping sequence. And so I began with some graham cracker stripe. So there are two colors of graham cracker stripe, like a, a pumpkin orange and sort of a fiery neon orange. And then there's a pretty substantial stripe with chocolate and marshmallow. So some browns, even a little bit of black for those 
charred bits of marshmallow that inevitably happen and then some undyed spots that are creamy white. It's a lot of fun to knit with self-striping sock yarn. I don't do that very often. I don't knit that many socks. But I do enjoy them when I'm knitting them and should probably make more of a point to always have a pair of socks on the needles. Because when I've been knitting a lot of larger garments over the course of this year, and once they grow to several hundred yards, they're not necessarily the best carry-along project. And I end up not knitting sometimes because I don't have a project suitable for the situation. So having some socks, especially some vanilla socks without much patterning or too much figuring involved is a great technique. Another great thing about knitting socks in tandem is that you have two options for where the sock is. So let's say you're ready to begin the heel on one of the socks and you're going to be in a situation where you you can't figure out getting through a heel pattern. You have the other sock, so you could still be knitting stockinette on that sock. So it's important to keep them going in tandem, but not too close in tandem. So you always have some options for your sock knitting. Once again, the two projects or patterns that I mentioned are Ujo by Anka Strick and Vanilla is the New Black, a sock pattern designed by Anna Fletcher. I usually discuss finished projects on the back porch segment, and this is certainly an ongoing project to wash and process and spin and knit from a fleece that I've purchased. However, this week a crucial first step is completed. I have separated out about, I haven't weighed my the fleece that I cleaned, but I'm guessing it's between two and three pounds of some of the choicest sections of a Cheviot cross fleece I purchased at Maryland Sheep and Wool Festival this year. And I picked very carefully through all of the locks. I tried to remove as much debris as possible. This fleece had quite a bit of variation in the durability of its tips. The locks are wonderfully... Um, chunky and long. Most of the staple length is six inches or more on this beautiful white fleece. Some amazing crimp. But when tested, there were some parts of the fleece where the tips broke off. And there were others where the tips were incredibly brittle and dirty, even if they didn't break. So I worked through to find the choicest parts that I could and then I just picked very carefully. It took about four and a half to five hours to go through every bit of the fleece that I separated out and pick apart the, you know, loosen the ends so that when washed, the dirt would come out easily. 
pull as much veg matter as I could. And in some cases where there were brittle tips, I snipped off the very end of the staple. I tried to keep the lock structure and organization as best as I could. And then I put all of this fiber into a cold water soak that lasted over 24 hours because it rained and then I got into working on something else and by the time I removed it, it had been over 24 hours. Most of the dirt and debris uh, is really able to come out in this cold water soak. As far as scouring this fleece, I processed half by hand in small batches with a very hot scour and then a very hot rinse. I wrung as much of the water out of the fiber as I possibly could, and then I just started arranging it on my three-tiered sweater dryer. Then we had some unexpected company, so that process came to a screeching halt. And the next day, I went to visit my mom. I took everything with me. First of all, I wanted to see if I could get the fleece I had washed to dry in her very sunny yard. It's difficult to dry fleece in the shady woods. The moisture just hangs in it. It takes days and days. And then second, I wanted to try washing the rest of the locks in her top-loading washing machine. And it worked beautifully. We filled the water level in the washing machine about halfway full with screaming hot water. And then I added unicorn scour. I had all of my fleece in lingerie bags and I just submerged them, let them sit in there for about 20 minutes and then we spun all the water out. We filled it again and then just let it sit for 20 minutes in a very hot soak. And that fleece was almost dry. I mean, the washing machine does such a good job of spinning out all of the water. And then that, you know, all that fiber hung in her yard while I visited her for the afternoon. And when I put it in my car, it was nearly dry. So I feel good about storing that now, even if I don't get to anything else in terms of processing. I would like to card that fleece and when I sampled it I used my hand cards to create ghost bats and I would like to get more of a worsted spun yarn out of this keeping all of those staple lengths aligned if I can because I think that will be beautiful and there's some just really incredible luster to this fiber and I already have the hog island that is very much going to be a woolen spun yarn So I think this would be a nice alternative, a nice learning experience to try to spin a worsted or partially worsted uh, yarn, semi-worsted, I should say, right? A semi-worsted yarn, and I think it will die up just beautifully. So I'm happy to have this stage of the process complete in terms of the remainder of the fleece. Um, I might send some samples if people are interested in 
trying it. I will certainly offer it up to some of the students I will be working with this year and maybe in small batches. They could experience washing and processing and spinning and maybe dyeing some fleece of their own. I would really like them, especially a few who have been working with me for several years now and who are pursuing some independent study in fiber arts. I would like to take them through this process, even if it's just with a few ounces. So I I will definitely be turning over some of it to them if I can. And I've also been toying with the idea of offering a a truncated version of a sheep to shawl course. So it would be nice to have a variety of different fleeces on hand just to experiment. And so folks in a class like that could see a variety of different fibers and textures and lock structures, all of that kind of thing. So it will, it will be put to good use. I had no intention of, you know, working with six and a half pounds of a fleece. I love what I have, but uh, that whole fleece is just a little bit overwhelming to me. So I'm glad to have finished with a portion of this at least. And so forth. I was able to work on a few sewing projects this week. I completed the mashup of the staple dress and the pocket style from the Anne Carolyn smock. I had thought also of altering the neckline or splitting the front section of this um, staple dress, and I didn't do that. My mashup was simply a mashup of two different patterns, but I also used a few techniques that I have not done uh, too extensively in the past. So the staple dress is my favorite dress pattern. I love it. I think it's versatile. I have quite a few versions of this dress. It is my staple dress. It's a two-piece pattern by April Rhodes. It creates its own short sleeves. There's a version with a drop hem and a version with a straight hem. I still haven't made a straight hem version, even though I have one cut out and ready to sew, but I have not made it. Uh, And then the dress features some stitching around the waistline with elastic thread to create kind of a cinched waist. I've removed almost all the cinched waists from my staple dresses in favor of several lines of stitching in the center back just to draw the back together. I feel like using that elastic thread around the entire waistline of the dress makes it pull up and then I feel like the waist is just under my bust in a really weird way that I don't think is very flattering. Or maybe my body shape is changing and it just it just feels like my waistline is getting higher or something. So I really prefer that just cinching in a little bit at the back. For this version of the staple dress, I use an incredible bespoke double gauze in a, a beautiful blue color, uh, incredibly light and just 
imminently wearable. I also chose a cotton lawn from Heather Ross's Sleeping Porch line. It's a beautiful lavender background with moths and botanicals. It's just lovely. I used this fabric for the front of a willow top, and then I had enough left over to cut the pockets for this dress. And it's important to have a beautiful fabric for the pockets because the pockets of the Anne Carolyn smock have a reveal. And you can see the, the back of the pocket with a little cutaway that you do and some very, very, very clever shaping. So I knew I wanted to do those pockets with the reveal and I spent quite a bit of time figuring out where to place those pockets so that the reveal would be at an appropriate point on the sides of the dress, not too high, not too low. And then as I was working on those, I decided that I would use visible stitching, like a a very bright contrasting color thread so I could see all of the stitch lines. And this meant really focusing on the straight or the curve of my stitch lines. I chose a neon green thread, which pops beautifully away from this blue fabric. And I have visible stitching around the pocket area and also at the shoulder seams, um, around the arm and neck openings and along the hem of the dress. That was a challenge and there was quite a bit of unpicking and and re-sewing to get the lines perfectly straight. There's still a bit of pucker along the hemline in one section. The problem with double gauze is that it can stretch quite a bit. I did stay stitching around the neckline, but I did not do it around the hemline. And there are quite a few curves on the hemline because of this drop hem. It, It cuts up in the front, so there's a curve in the front and then there's a deep dip in the back. I suppose instead of double folding the hemline, I could have used a bias tape to create the hem. And I still could unpick everything and do that, but I probably won't. I also made my own bias tape for the neckline and the sleeve openings. This was a challenge because I used the cotton lawn to make the bias tape and it's very thin fabric. I wish I had cut it thicker, but I used a method of just creating my bias tape with only a fold on one side, and then I just stitched the unfolded side to the neckline or around the armholes and sort of like created the fold as I did the rest of the stitching. It was a little fiddly, um, but I think it's appropriate on this dress. It's a very delicate and much thinner bias tape than it would be if I had used the store-bought. And I think it's appropriate because this dress is kind of light and airy. And I love it. I love this dress. I still really, in my heart of hearts, all I want to do is make more staple dresses. But... Uh, I'm working on some more tailored things. 
some things more along the line of store-bought clothing that I would wear to work. And so I have cut out all of the pattern pieces for the Dahlia dress. It's a Colette pattern and it features a waist band and then a top and bottom with some gathers just instead of darts it has some little gathered portions on the top and the bottom that run next to the waistband it also features a zipper closure so that you can work in a lot more form-fitting shape and still be able to get into the dress there's a a strappy uh, version and a version with short sleeves. And I have cut all the pattern pieces for both of these versions. And I have cut out a version of each. So I have a version with the sleeves and a version that's like a strappy summery version. Uh, There are also two variations on the skirt bottom. One of the skirt bottoms has a front panel and then two panels in the back with a kick pleat and then the other version has uh, it's much more piece so there's a front panel a back panel and then side panels and um, in both cases I have cut out print and plain fabric So for the strappy version, I used a denim fabric for the top and the waistband and then a print, a beautiful print on the bottom for the skirt. And on the sleeve, the version with sleeves, I used a beautiful Rifle Paper Company uh, cotton. It's, It's this really cool print with cranes or some kind of storks on it it's in like a blue and a gold so I use that for the top and the waistband and then a denim for the skirt so I think this will strike a nice balance between how I love interesting prints but I think a piece dress all in print is a lot for the eyes to handle. I don't know if I want to be wearing that much print. So I think blending it with a denim, a lightweight denim fabric will be really nice. I did do a consult with my mom on cutting one of the pattern pieces. I was, I only had a little bit of this beautiful rifle paper company fabric. And so I wanted to cut the waistband and then you cut, um, to each of the front yoke and the back yoke or waistband. And I only had enough fabric for one. So the the lining or the inside of that waistband was going to be denim. And I wasn't sure with a directional print which way was up. And I didn't want upside down birds on my dress. So I just, I cut out everything else and then I took the pattern pieces and, you know, all the description and everything and with my mom figured out which way would be up for the waistband. I think it would be nice if the pattern either somewhere in the directions or on the pattern pieces themselves, there were um, some directions for what to do with a directional print. 
Um, the layout has the pattern pieces going kind of every which way, and I found it all very confusing. But my mom helped me understand using the little um, punch marks or arrow marks on the pattern pieces, which ones would align with which, and therefore which way would be up for the waistband. And so I haven't cut that yet, but I have marked my pattern so I know exactly what to do. And I think I will enjoy this challenge of working with directional prints, different fabric types, and a little more care with seaming and fit. There are lengthening lines for all of the pattern pieces, top and bottom, and I'm kind of wishing I had lengthened. I'm long-waisted, so I wish I had lengthened the top portion perhaps a little bit, but we'll see. You know, I'll make these, and hopefully they will be wearable, and then I will know what to do on the next go-round for this pattern if I like it. At the close of this very productive week in my maker's haven, surrounded by all of my projects, I received a package from Blacker Yarns. I had been in contact with Katie, who asked if I would be interested in reviewing some of the new limited edition birthday yarn from Blacker, and I said yes, of course, and when the package arrived, I promptly began to swatch with this yarn and think about how I would translate its uh, gorgeous handle and its beautiful colors in this audio review. This brushwork yarn will be a limited edition because Blacker has obtained just one bale of a very special fiber, a fiber that's usually reserved for more luxury products in the UK. And that is from Scottish Beaumont. It's a breed that's a blend of Saxon Merino and Shetland. So it contains some of the wonderful softness and variety of both of those breeds. And to that is has been added 10% Castle Milk Moret. This is a plump and soft brown fleece and 20% British alpaca. So a really luxury blend. It comes in balls of sport weight yarn a 50 gram ball has 152 meters or 165 yards. It's a two ply woolen spun yarn that has been dyed in the wool and then blended. Before knitting or while knitting, this yarn is very springy and plump in the ball. The recommended needle size is US 4, so I dug out some US 4 DPNs. I cast on 24 stitches and I knit a swatch with garter borders and a stockinette center. 
This yarn is lovely as it moves through your hands while you knit with it. It has a great deal of character because of the blended dyed in the wool effect of the color. And its texture is soft but with integrity. It really is kind of a luxury yarn. I think often luxury yarns where we maybe move to think of consistency, like a merino cashmere blend or something like that. But this is interesting because it seems Blacker has achieved a real luxury yarn that still has character and some inconsistencies to it. I knit two identical swatches and then one took a bath in a little bit of soak and then I just laid it flat to dry. Upon soaking and blocking, the yarn really plumps up, it really fills in, and the word that I would use to describe the fabric is plush. There's sort of a velvety plushness to the fabric. It's extraordinary. And the color blending and the dyed in the wool means it has a little bit of a tweediness, a little bit of a heathered look. And as I look across my knitted swatch, there is a bit of a halo. And I don't know if some of the fibers were left undyed, perhaps, or maybe some of the fiber resisted some of the dye. But most of the halo seems to be undyed, meaning what's sticking up above the knitted surface of the fabric is undyed fiber. And this gives the fabric a bit of a frosted look, which is very interesting. And I think creates, um, could create some interesting dimension. The character of the knitted fabric is next to skin soft and incredibly warm. In terms of items to knit, what immediately comes to mind for me is a hat, a cowl, and mitts, maybe knit at a denser gauge, maybe using a US 3 perhaps for mitts to create a little more of a dense fabric and really super warm, but wonderfully soft. I think this yarn would be excellent for garments, for color work, for cables and textures, certainly. The woolen spun two-ply would just be gorgeous in cables. And the colors, which I'll talk about in a little bit, uh, would really blend nicely for color work. I, As I was knitting, I was thinking lace or anything with a lot of drape might not be the best choice of, for this yarn. I think it would certainly work. But then when I look at my washed 
and blocked swatch, the character of that alpaca really comes through a little bit more and there's a bit of a drape to my washed and blocked swatch. So maybe it could work for a shawl. I think for lace, it would plump up and fill in quite a bit. Um, but maybe for a shawl, it would be lovely. It would certainly be warm. This, this uh, fabric is going to be very warm. The eight colors of this brushwork yarn are absolutely beautiful. Katie sent me a, a color card. They all have tweedy little bits, little splotches of other color. That's not the predominant feature. It's not the first thing necessarily that you notice. Uh, but in this impasto, for example, I was sent a, a ball of the pink color. There are little bits of bright red, peach, orange, and then there are some undyed bits and you can see a little bit of the browns from that Castle Milk Moret coming through. I think these would just be extraordinary for color work. And I also think that because of the heathered the tweedy and this frosty look, these would probably work really well with any woolen spun yarn you have in stash. For example, if you wanted to knit something in a neutral color and then add one of these for color work, I think there's a good chance of it working well because this sport weight yarn could work with a fingering weight, it could work with a sport, it could even work with a DK. Because of its plumpness, I think it's incredibly vers versatile in terms of its weight. So I could see combining some of this with maybe some yarn that you have in stash. There is a colorway called Wash, which is the most neutral of the eight colors, but there's no undyed, there's no uh, brown or gray on this sample card. They're all colors of yarn, they're all colorways. And so I think if you wanted to use them as a pop of color in something that was otherwise neutral, this brushwork would be a very good choice for that. Along with the sample Katie sent for review, she also tucked in a beautifully wrapped package of four balls, 660 yards of this beautiful brushwork in the Velatura colorway, the blue. I know because I opened the end of the package so I could check the color. <laughs> you can't blame me. You just can't blame me. You would have done the same thing. But she sent this along so that I could offer it up as a prize for a Yarns at Yinhu listener. So I will be opening a thread and there will be a prompt about, I don't know, something having to do with artists, favorite artists, uh, maybe period of art or a favorite painting in keeping with this brushwork theme. 
Please be sure to join the Yarn Zet Yenhu group before you enter. And I will announce the winner of this prize the next time I record a podcast. It could be a week or two. Certainly it will be by the end of August. So I will record again before the end of the month. And in that episode, I will announce the winner. Head on over to the Yarns at Yenhu group on Ravelry to enter. And be sure to check out the fabulous colors of this yarn. I believe the birthday yarn will be released sometime in September. And I will provide links on my website and also in the group for more information about blacker yarns and brushwork. It's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. Nature 
Thanks for listening. Music for this episode is so weak. Music and lyrics by Samuel St. Thomas, performed by Bovine Social Club. Eat well and stay strong as you hone your post-apocalyptic skill set this week. It's a mighty fire.